Philippians 1, 3 to 11. I thank my God every time that I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began, began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how, how long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that, you lo that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Today we start the second sermon in the series on Philippians that we began last week. And as you can tell, we're going to be in chapter 1 again to consider Paul's words um, this morning. I, I want to begin by asking a question that I think I know the answer to. Here's the question. Have you ever heard some dreaded words that went something like this. Maybe it was from a coach. A coach that said, you know what? You really have a lot of heart. But you just don't have the talent for this game. Right? Or maybe it came from a teacher. And the teacher said to you, you know, Bob, you're a good student. You work hard, but this is just not your subject. Or maybe you heard it from an employer. And the employer said to you, I want to tell you something. You're a good person. But we just don't need your services any longer. Yeah. Or maybe, this list could go on, couldn't it? Maybe you've heard it from someone who is very, very close to you like a significant other, like a spouse. And the words were, I love you, but this relationship is just not working. Now, there may be times where words like that are actually appropriate. I can imagine telling a young man who weighs about 120 pounds, you're not going to be an offensive lineman. Right? That would be appropriate. But here's something to consider as it relates to relationship with God. When it comes to your relationship with God, none of these are ever God's words to you. Or to put it another way, God 
simply won't give up on you. The key verse in this passage that I want to emphasize is the one where Paul says, he who began a good work in you is going to complete it. God is not going to give up on you. Why is that true? That God will not give up on you. I think we see it in this epistle, but in other places in Paul's epistles as well. The first reason that God will not and cannot give up on you is quite specific because you are God's handiwork. In other words, you didn't sign up for the team to see whether or not you could make it. You were called by God to be a part of a process that is God crafting you. Now, you know as well as I do that all of us have fits and starts, don't we? We'll get a grand idea and we'll start in on a big project and then we won't finish it. That's not God. So when Paul says in Ephesians and in other places like this passage, basically you're God's handiwork, he's saying God is the potter and you are the clay. And he is going to shape the clay, which is you. It may go through multiple iterations, but God is going to do his work. Why? Because he chose you. Or as Paul says in Ephesians 1, you were chosen before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined you to be adopted as his dear child to the praise of his glorious grace. And he's not going to let go of the object of his affection. Period. Paul also says something in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. From the beginning, he said, God chose you to be saved. I also love John chapter 15. It's the place where Jesus is giving a high priestly prayer and he's praying at this point to, concerning the disciples themselves and interceding before God the Father. And he says concerning those disciples, you have not chosen me. I have chosen you to do good works. I want you just to pause for a moment and think about the disciples and the way they came to Christ. How many of them saw him walking down the road and ran after him and said, please let me be a part? Could have happened that way, but actually it didn't. It was Jesus walking along the path who identified the disciples and said, Come and follow me. So Jesus is speaking about a reality that they had experienced, that they were chosen by him. But Jesus speaks bigger in that passage, that 
high priestly prayer. He speaks more broadly to us, as Paul does in his epistles. I've chosen you. You're my handiwork. And I will accomplish my task. So how do we know God will not give up on us? Because we're his handiwork. Not because we have the ability to do it. Second reason is clear that God will not give up on us is because we're in this thing together. Did you notice as Paul was writing, he kept talking about them and him? He kept talking about the church and their relationship to him. He does this throughout all his epistles. As a matter of fact, he does it so much that Paul seems inseparable from his congregations. And he said it for a reason, because he believed himself to be inseparable from his congregations. He believed himself to be inseparable from the body of Christ. Which is why he gave us that image. Singularly, Paul helped us to understand the church as the body of Christ. The reason God won't give up on you is not because you're so great. The reason God won't give up on you is not because you chose God. The reason God won't give up on you is not because he sees something in you that's better than everyone else. The reason God won't give up on you is because you're his handiwork and you're part of his people. That high priestly prayer that I mentioned, you may remember some of the things that Jesus prayed for those who were his followers. One of the things he prayed is, Lord, I don't want you to take them out of the world. I don't want you to remove them from the difficulties. Don't do it. I'm not asking that. Instead, Lord, I want you to protect them from the evil one. As they walk through the travails of life and even the travails of relationship, I want you to guard their hearts from the one who wants to sift them like wheat, namely Satan. Let them go through it, Lord, but protect their hearts. He also makes these words come alive in that prayer. He said, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. You notice what's going on there? God, through Jesus Christ, is saying, life's not going to be easy, and there's a reason for that. Because it sanctifies you. He's saying to them, as you walk through that sanctification process, I am guarding your soul. I've got you in my hand. I won't let you go. And he's saying, the way you're sanctified is by turning back to the truth. By understanding over and over again what the will of God is for you as described in his word. 
How does that all happen? Well, it happens when people are personally devoted to Jesus Christ. But that's the easy, dare I say, evangelical answer. There's another answer, too. This happens in community. Because we're not Lone Ranger Christians. Sanctification is not just through difficulties. Sanctification doesn't come just through endurance. Sanctification comes by walking together as the body of Christ. What if, just what if, we took that really seriously and we looked down the row and said to the person next to us, don't stop annoying me, but please don't leave. I would say it's a statement about sanctification. Don't stop annoying me. Don't stop goading me. Don't even stop disagreeing with me. But please don't leave. Because you're a tool of God's sanctification in my life. What if we said that to one another? Well, let me put it another way. I'm saying that to you. Keep annoying me. Keep disagreeing with me. Keep rubbing me the wrong way. Because I need you. You're a tool of God's sanctification in my life. Please don't leave. So how do I know God will not give up on me? You, us. Because we're God's handiwork. It's his work. Because we're in this together. God's shaping a people together. And third, because it's about the love of God. The Apostle John, when trying to summarize some things that he thought a church that he was writing to needed to hear, or probably many churches in the diaspora, put it this way, quite simply, God is love. Now, among all the characteristics that John could have emphasized, he chose that one. Because there's plenty of characteristics of God that need to be emphasized besides just saying God is love. We know that. He could have emphasized the wisdom of God. Or he could have emphasized his righteousness, uh, holiness, his sovereignty. But just like with Paul, when any of the apostles wrote an epistle, they were writing it to particular people. And for whatever reason, in that particular place, this is the message they needed to hear. 
God is love. God loves you like a father, like a mother, like a brother, like a dear friend. I wonder why he emphasized it so much, and I think the first answer to that question is because they needed to hear that. But I think the other answer to that question is quite obvious. Because he spent so much time with Jesus. And in spending time with Jesus, John was overwhelmed by the deep love of God because Jesus deeply loved them. Loved them to the end. Gave his life for them. Yes, God is love. You see, it would be easier to resist a God that was detached. If God was just out there and detached, we could study him as a subject. We could define his attributes. We could say what he was like compared to us none of which is inappropriate, but we could do all of that without love. And John wants his listeners to know that above all, God is a creating, choosing, loving God. And his love will continue to increase. And Paul too emphasizes that theme that you're loved by God. And I hope, says Paul, I hope that the knowledge of this God's love will shape you and perfect you and make you what he wants you to be. Sometimes, uh, especially in our context, um, we have a tendency, maybe I should just not say we, I have a tendency to speak in rather cerebral terms. Some people have said, uh, you're hard to follow. Well, that's easy to understand. Um, <laughs> some people have said you're too intellectual. Some people have said this congregation is just too cerebral for me. I've heard that over the years. I understand why. We really are serious about the word. We want to understand. We ask tough questions. But if that's all we're known for, then we're known for something that is not truly the knowledge of God. If that's all we're known for, we're, we're known as people who, in a detached way, are trying to understand that big God out there. What we should be known for, and what should be true of all of us, is that love and knowledge are inseparable. In all of Paul's epistles, and I would say throughout all of Scripture, knowledge of God and love of God are inseparably linked. In order to know God, 
one must love God. One writer put it this way, a superficial love for God is a sure sign of a superficial knowledge of God. Knowledge of God is a relational reality, not just an intellectual one. You know, um, June 12th, this upcoming year, my wife and I will have been married for 39 years. That's a long time. And she knows me inside and out like nobody else. Every facial expression means something to her that many people don't even see, much less interpret. Every body movement tells her a story about what I'm thinking. She's not infallible. Sometimes she gets it wrong. (laughs) But she knows me. Why does she know me? Because she loves me. Because she's loved me for more than 40 years. Because she's been devoted to me for more than 40 years. And that's why she knows me. The analogy is pretty easy, isn't it? To know God, you must love God. God is love. Just a few points of application. Uh, The first is a question. For all of you who are here, have you recognized your chosenness? Have you recognized the fact that you're loved by God? Now, there are many ways to express such recognition. Sometimes that recognition could be expressed or demonstrated with words like surrender, confession, acceptance. All those words are appropriate, but perhaps I'm asking it a little differently. Have you embraced the love of God? God's love is relentless. It's constantly pursuing. Have you acknowledged it? Surrendered? Accepted it? Believed it? And acted upon it? I hope you have, but if you have not, please open the door because this God continues to pursue, continues to knock, and he's not going to stop until you let him in. So if you haven't let him in, do it today. If you want to talk about that, please come talk to me today.
Second thing I want to remind you of is this. Though I haven't used these words, they are from Scripture. God is slow to anger and abounding in mercy or love. No matter what you've done, no matter how alienated you feel, no matter how guilty you are, God's love eclipses, overshadows, dispels God's anger. Yes, God can be angry. We know that from Scripture. But the basic message is that this wrathful God loves us more than he loves wrath itself. Wants us to be in relationship more than he wants us to suffer. God's love is overwhelming. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. So if that's true, shouldn't it also be true that we receive that? That we say, okay, okay, I understand. Okay, I surrender because your love is greater than the anger I have felt in my heart. Third thing is God is uh, not one who grows tired or weary. He's not easily discouraged. Isaiah loved to paint that picture. He's, he's not like a human being who grows tired and grows weary. So his love is endless and he's not easily discouraged. He doesn't lose his patience with us. Those are characteristics of ours, not of God's. Final question is actually this. Do you ever long to have someone in your life who, unlike those dreaded words you heard at the beginning, someone who just will never give up on you? Never? You do have it. You have it in God. A little more than a year ago now, um, a very important Christian leader passed from this life. His name was Eugene Peterson. He uh, was the translator of the message and wrote multiple books. And as he said on one occasion when I was reading, um, he said, people often ask me, what do you want to be called? Because he did a lot of things. He was a great author, a writer. He was um, a great teacher. He, he taught in seminaries um, as well. And he said, I always say one thing, pastor. I just want to be known as a pastor. When he passed away, his son, Leif Peterson, did a bit of a eulogy for his father. The backstory on the eulogy is that years and years earlier, Leif Peterson had come home from college. He was 
studying literature and creative writing. And Eugene Peterson said when he came home, he, he told me, uh, Dad, you know, all great novelists have one message. Said it doesn't matter who it is, it's Hemingway or he named all these. So they, they have one message and they just repeat it over and over again um, in creative ways. And he said, it occurred to me, Dad, you only have one sermon. And Peterson said he was really wounded by that because Peterson wrote out everything. He had many books. He didn't ever repeat sermons. He invested deeply in study. But he became aware of what it was that his son was saying. So at the eulogy with Peterson gone, uh, his son told the story and he said, my dad only had one sermon. He said, I, I want to reveal to you today the great secret, his one sermon. He said, here's his one sermon. God loves you. God is on your side. He's coming after you. And he's relentless. Lee Peterson said, actually, that was a sermon he preached all the time. And, get this, he said it was a sermon he used to whisper over me when I was a child, sleeping in his house. God loves you. God is on your side. He's coming after you. And he's relentless. I don't know if Paul just had one sermon. I'm afraid to ask what you think my one sermon is. <laughs> but that's the one theme this morning. God loves you. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful uh, for your love. We're thankful that it is persistent. That when you began the work in us, you determined to complete it. And you will. Because you're God. We let projects go away. We have big ideas and we don't accomplish them. Even if we're craftsmen, we don't get every project done, at least not to perfection. But you're the divine craftsman. We are your handiwork and you're relentless with your love. So thank you for shaping us, Lord. And may we be willing to be shaped. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.